Welcome back to Healthy Perspectives Podcast, where we chat about all things patient, healthcare, innovation, and technology. Our episode today is a year in review. We've brought back a few familiar faces from recent episodes, as well as new guests, to offer insight into a whirlwind year and what 2021 has in store. This year changed the world and affected how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis, as people, as patients, as HCPs, even as brands. Let's gather around the virtual holiday hearth and learn more from our panel of guests. Hi, everyone. So glad you could join us for the last episode of 2020. And what a year it's been. I don't think I need to go into it quite yet, but we will soon. Um, It's great to have representation from different departments at PMP. We've got copy, art, editorial, account, and social. So part one of this is just kind of a look back to reflect on this year. As I mentioned, it's been quite a whirlwind. Um, First question is for Abby. As one of our resident copywriters here, can you take us through how brand messaging strategy changed as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, so back in March, when we kind of realized that COVID-19 was starting to affect people's lives and really change the landscape for everyone around the world, um, it brought up two really important questions for people of how copy was going to change. The first need, first and foremost, was to create resources for people, particularly thinking about their health at this time, and make sure that brands were really responsive to getting people the information they needed to be able to understand how COVID-19 was going to affect other health issues um, across the board. And then the second issue that people ran into was making sure that the regular brand messages separate from COVID-19 were still relevant to people because people's lives were changing so much more than we anticipated when, you know, we might have thought it was just a two-week lockdown back in March. Um, so with the the first challenge there, I think a few brands handled it very differently. Some people sort of just tried to tick a box by saying, you know, COVID-19 is something that you should be thinking about and then leading to generalized resources coming from the parent company that maybe didn't get as specific to different conditions But then a lot of brands also kind of went the other direction where they had the opportunity to create support systems specific to how COVID was going to affect people with that specific condition or worrying about whatever the health issue related to that product is. And those people, I think, you know, were able to provide more robust of a resource. And that really relied on that, again, flexibility between clients, regulatory teams, copy teams, Overall, just a really collaborative process that also had to be really iterative as the information was changing over time. Yeah, definitely. And I I feel like we are experiencing now, we're eight, nine months later, we're in a bit of a COVID fatigue. And I'm curious, really quickly, just a quick follow-up question. Um, Do you feel, you mentioned brand messaging shifting. Do you see it shifting, continuing to shift and evolve based on that sort of sentiment Absolutely. I think one thing that's really interesting about the way that this pandemic has affected people, if we look at just the U.S., um, something that comes to light is that, you know, we're going through this collective shared experience, but the reaction that people have is not uniform. Um, You know, some people are really starting to take 
more precautions than ever. Some people, like you said, are starting to experience COVID fatigue. And I think those kind of disparate reactions to the immediacy of COVID-19 also kind of bleed into changing health attitudes across the board. So people who might be, you know, scared by this pandemic and moving forward, take their health much more seriously, you know, taking the efforts to get educated about their health much more, might be more kind of interested in preventative care um, due to this kind of collective consciousness raising event. But there are also some people who might, you know, shy away from trusted sources of information or who may be more skeptical of receiving care or who may even not want to go to their doctor's office as often because it seems a little bit more dangerous at this point. And so I think, again, specificity is really key here that it's not just about, oh, everyone who is having this condition and has gone through this pandemic has been through the same experience and thus has the same reaction or has the same mindset. Um, What we're seeing here is that there really are kind of polar opposite responses to a lot of aspects of the pandemic. And I think that's true of a lot of different aspects of health in general. So I think areas like personalization, you know, hyper-targeting, thinking about messages across different segmentations. This is going to be a way in which people's individual psychology starts to affect the messages that they receive, because I think resonance is more important now than ever. Yeah, actually, that's a great segue. Um, Kieran, my question for you is around this sort of hyper-personalization, which was a big marketing trend this year and is just a big word. So uh, can you explain what it is uh, and speak to how the pandemic accelerated it and transformed brands digitally? Yeah, sure. And and I think, um, you know, hyper-personalization is not the only big buzzword that you may have heard a lot about. There's also, you know, micro-targeting, omni-channel, account-based marketing, marketing automation, um, but I think all of these things essentially, they point to this notion of communicating on a more one-to-one basis um, and not just at a particular touch point, but across the, the customer experience. Um, and I think I wouldn't say that these things weren't trends um, leading up to the pandemic. Um, they were certainly growing trends, but... Um, now, thanks to the pandemic, I think they've exploded. Um, you know, when you think about how a lot of brands were relying on engaging with their audiences, you know, a lot were still based on, um, you know, take engagement with HCPs, for example. Um, you know, reps making calls, visiting doctor's offices, things like that. Um, that element of hyper-personalization was still very much reliant on face-to-face, one-to-one interaction. Suddenly the pandemic happens and those HCP or those reps aren't allowed to make, make office calls. How do, they, how do they still create that personalized interaction? And so I think that accelerated um, the digital means to that end for a lot of brands. And I think for a lot of brands, that's honestly been a silver lining of this whole situation is it sort of forced them to um, play catch up a bit there and think about how um, digital personalization can really complement, um, you know, human personalization and that that um, that face to face interaction. Yeah. At PMP, we strive for our work to abide by the four tenets of healthy communications, that it's accessible, it's usable, it's clear and it resonates. This was a particularly crucial year where patients needed access to reliable and comprehensible health information. 
And, you know, to Kieran's point about hyper-personalization, you know, it, it's important to make sure that you are able to really hone in and humanize and get on the level with a, with a patient. And I think that ties into health literacy in making sure that a patient understands what's being said to, to them. Um, so Susan, were there any lessons you learned from a health literacy perspective? Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you said, this there was never more important a time to have health information that you could understand. I mean, especially at the beginning, you know, between there being so much conflicting information, not, you know, let alone it being necessarily from a reliable source. I think people had a really hard time. I mean, um, we've chatted before with uh, Dr. Lisa, who is a physician in the DC metro area who walks around and uh, talks to patients. And a whole bunch of people she talked to were afraid of wearing a mask because they thought the carbon monoxide would suffocate them and would kill them. So like, you really have to understand that people just don't know a lot about their health. And I think to the personalization point, one thing we really started to understand was we really have to consider each individual patient audience in terms of health literacy. So a rare disease patient might know more about the science of their disease than their doctor because they've been trying to figure this out for sometimes 10 or 20 years um, versus someone who maybe just got a scary cancer diagnosis or the like has no idea what's going on and needs absolutely everything explained to them. So I think personalization in that sense um, really was a big learning for us this year. Um, you know, the, the make it resonate pillar was something we launched just this year to ensure that we were always talking to patients using their language. Um, so yeah, I think that was uh, the, the biggest learning of this year. Yeah. And I think um, on that note with patient insights and learnings, Namita, I know you get involved with a lot of patient research on your brands. What was one patient insight that you learned this year that maybe shocked or stood out to you? Yeah, such a hard question for me because I feel like we learned so much this year and there were so many shocking facts. Like what Susan just told me was probably making the top of the top of the list. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about how different patients' experiences are. And on the one hand, we hear about the really positive experience telehealth had on some patients, right? So it's really common for a lot of patients to have to travel long distances for routine appointments or to get to a specialty center. So getting a virtual visit or having the flexibility to talk to HCPs on, you know, virtually was a blessing for them. They were, they didn't have to spend all day traveling. I think one of the stats in rare disease is that 40% of rare disease patients were traveling 60 miles for a visit, a routine checkup. And so those patients are so happy that now they can have longer, more in-depth conversations with their HCPs um, virtually without having to take off of work and school and travel all day for 10 minutes in the exam room. But on the other hand, we have more than 20 million Americans, I think the FCC said, don't have broadband access. And there, there is that, that number is being disputed where um, a lot of the cable providers provided that data to the FCC and it's self-reported. So the, a lot of institutions are saying it's double that and it could be 40 million people who don't have broadband access. So we're talking about a really large population that can't do telehealth. That means they're also not getting our brand manufacturer emails and CRM programs and our apps and wearables to symptom track or 
get refill reminders or let them know that we are there for them if they need help with access, right? They're not getting those information. They're not seeing our recipe videos and our fitness videos. And so we're talking about trying to reach these people through text messages, which is limited. We're talking about phone calls through patient services, and we're talking about direct mail. So what else can we be doing to reach these people? How are we personalizing their experience? Because it's a lot more, I think, than, than a lot of brands are talking about right now. Yeah, and I'm curious to get your thoughts really quickly on the level of trust with telehealth. Do you think that people are gravitating towards it for the most part in a positive way? Or do you think there's still pain points in terms of a, a telehealth appointment doesn't, you know, you, you don't get the touch and the in-person sort of uh, interaction with a, with a doctor or a healthcare provider? I do think with this theme of like, it really does depend on where the person is in their journey. Are they just kind of checking on how treatment is going or are they considering a treatment? Are they getting tested? Do they need blood work? Like it, it kind of depends on where they are in their um, disease or what kind of category we're talking about. I think there has been general uh, wider adoption and more quicker adoption in telehealth than, than uh, before, obviously, given the pandemic and even centers are trying to accommodate or specialty centers and doctor's offices are trying out new technologies and trying to figure out what works best. Um, so I think I think it really does does vary. Uh, yeah. Yep. That definitely makes sense. Um, in terms of moving away from telehealth, but still keeping it in the realm of being home, which we did a lot this year. Um, Jamie, question for you as the leader of PMP's Voice Task Force: How have people used voice technology during this time? What were some maybe behavioral changes that you saw? Yeah, so it may seem obvious, but the use of voice in the home has certainly increased. Um, Amazon actually shared news that customers asked Alexa more cooking-related questions during a week in April of this year than during Thanksgiving week of last year. So people are really using voice at home. Uh, they also shared that listening to music has increased, skill usage has increased, and there's been an increase in voice search. So people are getting more comfortable with this technology. Um, what I find really interesting, though, is um, I read something that consumers are seeking touchless solutions right now more than ever before So because they find it to be more sanitary during this time. So if they go to a business or if they go to an event, they want to be able to use a voice assistant to say, you know, open the door or choose an elevator floor, which does make a lot of sense. But it's interesting to see that this is the way that people are wanting to sort of adopt voice technology right now. Yeah. Uh, was there maybe a in interesting or shocking way that you used voice this year that you didn't think that you would? I have become I have a voice assistant in my car. And I've become very reliant on using that. And I also was very anti-voice uh, to text. And now I use it all the time. Like, I'm obsessed. I hate type texting now. It is my go-to. Now, everything. the voice to text, um, are you seeing an error rate that's pretty minimal or small? Like, what's the experience it's there? Actually, it's not too bad. Um, the biggest thing that bothers me is when I say LOL, uh, my voice assistant will write it like LOL, like all caps. And I, <laughs> it just sounds like I'm like really excited about whatever I'm talking about. But otherwise, it's been pretty good. That's awesome. Well, lol or LOL. I'm not LOL. sure. I guess you could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't tried lol yet. So well, right. I always say LOL. Um, Patrick, our podcast 
episode about social trends talked about value, how brands really only have a user's attention for a mere few seconds on social media, if that. What social campaign caught your attention this year and what are some insights we could learn from it? Sure. Uh, Can I mention two? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So one social campaign that really comes to mind is the Do You Dance hashtag challenge on TikTok. Um, The challenge not only brought awareness to the treatment, but also around sickle cell anemia, a really serious illness that for way too long really hasn't been given the attention that it really deserves. Um, What I loved about this campaign is that it's the first hashtag uh, dance challenge on TikTok that was actually launched by a pharma brand. Um, It really tapped into how users interact with the platform in a way that didn't feel forced at all. And I love the way people have been living with, people that live with illnesses are connecting with each other on TikTok through these super raw shared experiences. Um, Sometimes they're heavy and serious and other times they're a lot lighter and sometimes meme-like, like this hashtag dance challenge. Uh, And the user-generated content that the community created for this campaign started on TikTok, but then it also carried over onto other social platforms like Instagram and Twitter, which also just shows that a great social campaign or movement can truly be platform agnostic. Um, And the second one is, I'm sure we're all familiar with it, uh, 420 Dogface on TikTok, or better known as the Ocean Spray Guy. Um, So I absolutely loved how this, uh, how Ocean Spray turned his viral video into this amazing moment for the brand. I'm also just like a huge Fleetwood Mac fan, so it just hit me extra hard. Um, It was that feel-good moment during a really crazy year that we, I think, really needed, and it brought out the best of the internet. I really loved how the internet responded to it. He received donations to buy a house from strangers across the country. Ocean Spray donated a truck to him to replace the one that broke down, which caused him to actually create that video with with Fleetwood Mac. And then other celebrities joined and created their own versions of the meme. It was just so beautiful and awesome to see. Uh, But anyway, that was just a really great example of how a brand responded to a piece of user-generated content and quickly turned it into an awesome moment for the brand. And now Nathan, the ocean spray guy, has even been dubbed by the internet as T.O. TikTok. And uh, that really couldn't make me any happier. Yeah. Um, So I want to take a look ahead. We've kind of been in the weeds with 2020, and I'm ready to break free from this year. Um, Hopefully 2021, you know, will be a post-pandemic world. As we look ahead, Abby, I know we talked a bit about brand messaging and concepting um, during the pandemic, but how do you see brands refining their messaging in a post-COVID world? You know, I think, as you mentioned, we might be past the we're here for you messages. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on how it's going to evolve. Yeah, I think there's a few things here. Um, The first sort of being, again, stressing how important it is to understand the kind of microcosms of mindsets amongst a patient population to not kind of treat them like a monolith. um, And to make sure that you're kind of understanding, again, that a shared experience does not elicit a uniform reaction. So things like what Karen and Patrick were mentioning about targeting and personalization, and I think especially that fourth tenet of healthy communications of making sure that what we're doing actually resonates with people um, and elicits the kind of emotional response that continues to engage them. I think there's also two other areas. Um, The first is that, again, with kind of misinformation, conflicting information, we're getting kind of conscious consumers in a way that 
you know, the internet may not have seen before. And so what's really important is developing the kind of ethos that creates people's trust in your information as a brand. Um, and that trust kind of garners itself into loyalty over time because then they can keep coming back to you for information. They can understand that, yes, not only your breakdown of a clinical study, but also your recipe video that you're putting out are actually based in facts and can improve their lives and relevant to them and you know interesting and accessible to them. And then I think the last point as well is that there's sort of a need for community building across all of these different groups. Um, you know, again, even though they don't have a, a uniform reaction to the same kind of experience, these are populations of people who have gone through something similar and may be able to relate to each other in a way that they wouldn't be able to before. And, you know, the bright side of this unfortunate year is that we're finding ways to connect with people online in a way that actually is kind of emotionally more fulfilling than it might have felt before because it was really the only avenue for connection we have. And so being able to create experiences like what Patrick brought up on TikTok where people were able to sort of connect with each other in that way. And even though it was about, you know, it was by a pharma brand, it was about some kind of, you know, health related incidents. It was people dancing together. It was people learning to create these kind of, you know, experiences, these moments that they can share that go beyond just an illness or just a health concern. Um, and I think those points are, those two things are a little different. One is, you know, creating the ethos to be uh, a loyal and trusted information source, but then also the pathos of being able to create emotional connections between people um, and, you know, keep them coming back to engage not only with your brand, but with each other through your brand. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely been a tough year. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So the fact that brands are really thinking about building trust and people are rallying behind one another has been really great to see. Um, you mentioned the uh, fourth tenant of the Healthy Communications Initiative, and that brings me back to Susan. Um so what are some areas of healthy communications that you think will be even more important in 2021? So yeah, so actually it's a nice segue from the trust piece too, because with the, the Make It Resonate tenant that came out this year, um, that really means making sure that we are the mouthpiece for the patients and not the other way around, that we are sort of elevating the way they talk about things and using their language. And one thing we've started to do, and we're poised to do more of them in 2021, are these really great patient language workshops where we gather patients. And of course, it was all done virtually this year, but um, I actually think if and when the world ever gets back to normal, there's a lot of positives to doing it virtually because you can get patients from all over the country, potentially even all over the world. Um, they don't have to stand in front of a group of people. They're more likely to be open. It feels less, you know, for a lot of people, it feels less intimidating than you know, kind of standing in front of a room. Um, but we basically ask them questions and give them prompts and exercises to talk about their conditions. And depending on the disease state, I mean, people are really passionate about the way you describe their symptoms. I mean, um, we had one with uh, Cushing's patients, which is a rare disease um, where there are, it's a terrible diagnosis journey. That's what I was referring to before. People take 10 years, 20 years sometimes to get this diagnosis because they have all these sort of disparate symptoms and doctors often can't you know, pull them all together and figure out what it is. But because of that, 
they often aren't listened to. So a doctor will say, well, you're just lazy and that's why you're gaining weight. Or you're just, you know, all these sort of terrible things and they really don't feel listened to. So when we offered to listen to them, they were just beside themselves. I mean, one guy actually said on the phone, this is the best therapy I've ever had. And, you know, it's, it was really great to see people that were so excited about it. The marketers were really excited about it. Um, and it really builds a relationship with the patients and they really become ambassadors for the brand, um, builds trust with the, you know, it's not a secret that there's often a trust issue with pharma, with patients. So, um, it was a really tangible way, um, to build that trust. So we're really excited. Um, we feel like it's a really great way to put into place, um, how we will make it resonate, which is that, uh, fourth tenant. Yeah, I, I really, I want to keep going with that building trust um, between HCPs and, and patients. Um, and that brings me to Namita. Um, I know you have an interest in influencers. Can you share what you think being an influencer will mean in 2021 and beyond? And I'm thinking about, you know, maybe will HCP influencers have their day? Will they, will there be kind of a rise of that? Would love to get your thoughts. Yeah, so just with everything we've been talking about, there's been a huge surge in, I think, HCP influence because of all the misinformation this year. So you had these HCPs who were busting their butts on the front lines and seeing what this pandemic was doing to people and took to the gram because they needed to get the message out like, this is serious, stay home, wear a mask, please. Like you don't want this happening to you. And they were really passionate about what they were seeing. So it made an impact. The message, the facts started to get clarity in some of the information, people hearing these messages. I've seen uh, Instagram lives with, with doctors. I've seen them do really fun reels and IGTVs that I'm still trying to figure out, you know, like around disease and share how you can recognize symptoms of a heart attack or, you know, if your child might have a developmental delay. So it's a really cool way to reach different patients but I also think it means there's greater scrutiny. So we've all heard the stories about lifestyle influencers getting in trouble for sharing misinformation. And these are now professionals who are experts and people are gonna take them really seriously. So I think there's a little bit of an added responsibility on their plate if they really do become Insta-famous and have a huge following um, to vet their content and do their due diligence. I think it also means more clutter for everyone to sort through, um, more noise and more competition for the attention span of consumers on social media of our patients. So it's going to be harder for brands to use sponsored ads and traditional Instagram ads and Facebook ads to reach patients when you've got HCPs you know, creating awareness and education as well. But that said, I think there is an opportunity for us to, you know, there's a lot of, we always talk about partnering with influencers in the space, find out who are the people that are already getting attention from in the patient community. But I think there's an untapped opportunity to also now look at that from the HCP side, especially for brands that have a focus on disease awareness and disease education or where there is misinformation right now. Yeah, and I think the content buckets that you pointed out, you know, disease education and spreading awareness is very important. I think we need to be mindful of, you know, HCPs can't diagnose on these platforms. But to your point, the content strategy that you put forth, I think definitely makes sense to at least establish that relationship. You also mentioned clutter and noise 
And I think it goes without saying, uh, we live in a world of instant gratification. There's a lot of content that's being pushed out and, you know, we want it now, but then we feel overloaded. Essentially, people are feeling more distracted than ever. Um, Patrick, how do you think brands will continue to position themselves and push through that noise in order to build value? So there are a ton of best practices that we could definitely like lean into, but I'm not going to bore everybody with all of them. But uh, <laughs> uh, we, we really just have to continue to move away from that transactional mindset and keep moving more into a more meaningful space where we truly address the whole person and really lean into a more long-term relationship uh, with our patients. Um, we should consider going beyond thinking where the patient is in their healthcare journey and really start taking into consideration where they are in other aspects of their lives too. Like how they've been working from home while also homeschooling their kids this year. How has that potentially changed their mindset? Are they also trying to take care of a loved one that's suffering from an illness? Brands that take those moments into consideration and really provide patients and their loved ones with something that's truly helpful and speaks to them in a way that's genuine and relevant of the times, I think will show that they care and really get it. Um, on the flip side, some patients connect in ways that is lighter and almost more a distraction from their illnesses, like a hashtag dance challenge um, on TikTok. So I think overall brands can just be better by paying attention and showing empathy to the real needs of patients and their loved ones. Yeah. Now, the question that I think we all want to know is, are you on TikTok and have you done a TikTok dance yet? <laughs> I am on TikTok and Jamie and I have done a dance challenge together. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, the you sweetest. have to follow p on TikTok. Oh, geez. You're ca calling me out on the air. Um, I will do that right after this podcast. <laughs> um, I'd like to start thinking about 2021 as you know, we want it to be hopeful. We want to get out of this murkiness and this craziness of this year. So Jamie, what tech or digital trend gives you hope for next year? Um, I would say wearable technology. So I'm including fitness trackers and even VR headsets and in any sort of wearable in that category. Uh, I think COVID has made us very reliable on these devices, especially fitness trackers, since we can no longer go to the gym. So we're connecting with our friends and others through these devices. And in addition to tracking our health and well-being, I mean, I actually have two on because I have friends that have Fitbit and I have friends that have Apple Watch. So it's like my way of connecting with everybody and still feel like we're going to whatever workout class together um, and staying connected. Um, Amazon actually announced that they're going to be launching a version of a fitness tracker too. So they're getting into that space. It's called the Halo. Uh, so that will be coming out. And to continue on that wearable trend, um, Amazon also created something called Echo Frames. They allow you hands-free access to Alexa through your eyeglasses. And Apple announced in 2022, they're going to have a version of a VR headset. So you no longer need your phone. So I think we're going to really see this increase in our reliance on wearables. And I believe it's going to improve our lives and hopefully, and especially for patients. For sure. Yeah. The last question that I have is for Kieran. Um, I'd love to know how you think brands are going to show up even more for patients in 2021. Um, yeah, no pressure. Last question. Um, now, I think I think we've talked um, about a number of themes that I see sort of converging. We talked about the acceleration of, you know, personalized digital, um, you know, meeting patients where they are with tech, um, like voice and wearables. Jamie was talking about. Um, we talked a lot about healthy communications. 
uh, how they're critical to meeting different audiences' needs. Um, I think similarly, there's also been a more widespread focus on you know DNI and health equity. Um, and I think when you look at all these things coming together, it's really telling brands that they need to go on, uh, go beyond the the broad strokes, you know, segmentation or tactical plans. Um, really, sort of, I don't want to say one size fits all efforts because I think brands take different audiences in, into account, but um, they really need to get out of their comfort zone and push further, dig deeper, um, to really understand, uh, engage, and support you know individual patients. I, I think the goal has to be that one-to-one support. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's not an easy thing to attain, but I think that's what brands have to strive for because ultimately that's what's, that's what's best for the health of patients and, and the health of brands. Um, so yeah, I, I would encourage brands to just set their sights higher, further, and, and try and go farther. Yeah. Well, I'm ready to see brands do just that, set their sights higher and farther and better next year. And um, I'm excited to get into 2021 with you all. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for being festive. Um, I know this is a um, audio platform, but um, for our listeners, before we wrap up, just want to let you know we have Zoom backgrounds, we have festive sweaters. So um, we're just very jolly over here. And I believe there will be a a recording of this podcast. So you can um, see us in our fun earring baubles and festive gear. From what we've learned, 2020 has changed patients' expectations and experience of care. We're really looking forward to doing big things in 2021 and continuing to support patients and our brands. We hope you'll keep following the Healthy Perspective podcast into 2021 as we see how the year unfolds. And be sure to follow Patients and Purpose on LinkedIn, Instagram, and all your favorite social channels. Have a happy and safe holiday season.